At approximately 5.15 p.m. on May 10th in 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 explore a cave near their house in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. Brothers Billy Hogue, Joel Hogue, and friend Craig Dow are never seen again. It is now 52 years later. This is their story. So Well, Chris, we've come to the end of the road. The end of the road. We're not singing Boys to Men right now. (laughs) No, that's 1996 right there. Something did happen in 1996, though, which we'll cover. Oh, wow. Didn't even mean for that to happen. I know. So, welcome back to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. I'm your host, Frankie Cambaletta, and with me, as always, has been this whole season, Chris Ketters. Hey, howdy. Howdy. <laughs> let's, not, let's not go down that road. <laughs> you know, we started in 19, now we're in 20. Yeah, that's true. 2020. 2020 is a big year for us, Chris. It a is. big season two is popping up in March 1. So... Not that far away, guys. I know everybody was kind of like anticipating that we would start again in July. We're actually not going to do that. We're going to keep the momentum flowing, and we want to keep the ideas flowing. I feel that it, I think we both felt that if we went away too long, that we might lose our audience. Yeah, so, we don't want to do that. No, so we're going to take a little hiatus, but uh, we got we're going to go through what's coming up next season. Which is funny because even even in the last couple months, we've had people say to us like, "You guys have a next season." And we're like, yeah, we're going to have to because we're just now breaking the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, we haven't. I mean, from that stand, from that standpoint, Chris, I think that when you look at it, I mean, this season was about learning. Mm-hmm. It was about education. And we start with a book and we end pretty much with, you know, 13, 14 bonus episodes that further the knowledge and added to the conversation much more than a book could because mm-hmm. we have – an audience that's responding, that's talking to us, that's communicating, and we're able to take those leads and run with them. And, and, I, and they're communicating through social media and, and those places, of course. Even when we're, um, we're not here on your popular podcast uh, pickup area, we're still on the Facebook page. So uh, we're going to be asking questions still. We're going to be saying, hey, uh, you know, uh, we a, a while back we were posting pictures of places like we still don't know if these places are you know so we're hoping for that help from the public and those that are listening to to help us again solve the crime like, what do you always say public solves crime public solves crime and not saying that this is a criminal case yet but what we're saying is cold cases in general are solved by 
the smallest details. It's always the smallest details, Chris. And maybe somebody's out there, maybe 72, 74 years old, was like, well, you know, Billy asked me to go with him that day. Yeah. And where they looked was not where he told me he was going. It's stuff like that that would be crucial to the investigation. Yes. I mean, when you look at the miles that we've covered in our trucks and on our feet and everything that we've tried to do to bring this case more awareness, that was really the outset of what we did this year. And I think that I'm proud of the work that we've done. I'm proud of the audience that we've gained. I'm proud of the exposure we got. And I'm proud of the town of Hannibal for getting behind us. Even their own news station kind of featured a story on us, which was awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it really shows that even though it's been 52, 53 years since it's happened, it's, it's still in the frame of mind. And there's people that are in their you know, 15 years old, 20 years old that never heard the story. And now they're finally starting to hear about uh, these three lost boys from 1967. So, and if you're one of those and you use the social media to, to go full circle there, make sure to get on our Facebook page, make sure to get on our Facebook community. That's where, uh, by the way, just to differentiate our Facebook page is more general stuff, pictures, things that we're doing. Our community is like the nuts and bolts of where we get into the discussion of What's your guys' thoughts? What are we missing? And so if you really want to dig in and get involved, uh, that is definitely where to do it. You have to uh, be approved, but it's a simple, simple approval process. So don't let that worry you at all. Um, so just go ahead and try that and get on there. And also, I believe we have Patreon, too. We do. Next year, we're launching Patreon. And what is Patreon exactly? Well, Patreon helps us and, and helps you guys support us uh, financially. Uh, it's nothing crazy. It can be if you want, but all that money would go back into uh, the case and the investigating. Like me being in Hannibal right now, staying at hotels, doing these types of things comes out of um, our pocket. And what we want to do is kind of put that money back in the community. So that's why I like coming up here and you know spending money on local stuff. It also helps us investigate and research and put funds away to make this film and make you a part of that film. And so each package on our Patreon page will give you either producer rights, t-shirts, stickers. There's a bunch of different things that are happening on Patreon. By no means will you get anything less if you're not a member. Sometimes people just can't Spare another $5 a month. But if you can and you're willing to, that really helps me and Chris out to do more shows and to do a meet and greet that we'd love to do in the city of Hannibal in the upcoming months. And so that's if you go to patreon.com, look up Lost Boys of Hannibal. We're right there. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff you mentioned about the about filming and things like that. But there's other bigger ideas you know that we may have to go down the road that we we may not have the financial means to do it uh you know with again i've mentioned this multiple times the technology that's available today compared to what's available in 1967 leaps and bounds uh, difference so that technology may be coming into play in our future years absolutely and that and that's where it it becomes hard as a filmmaker as you've known i have three films under my belt it's not it's not easy to be a filmmaker and it's definitely not cheap to be a filmmaker. You have to spend a lot of money because time is money. And one of the things that Shift Films promotes is feed your crew, pay your crew, mm-hmm. uh, and communicate. So one of the things, too, that, that we look at from the, from the Patreon is the idea behind like where, what that means to us in giving back. So for every $1,000 that we raise, we're giving 20% to Missing Kids. Oh, wow, great. So the Missing Kids organization is part of our Patreon. So every time we hit $1,000, $200 of that goes to Missing Kids. So it's a great Perfect. organization, uh, the Walsh Foundation, and all those other great organizations that are out there. Everything's legitimized through Patreon, which is why we're doing it that way. So they keep us accountable for the funds that we do get. Yeah, it's really good. 
So that's kind of the recap of the intro to get us going. But we have a lot. It, it is the season finale of season one, and we've talked a lot about the past and what has uh, what we've done. And, and, and if you've listened, you've listened to, I believe we're at, this is 15 or 14. I can't remember which one exactly we're at right now. But, it's, uh, <coughs> you know, this is one of them that, you know, we kind of want to recap. We, we start out with our timeline of the boys, and that was the first few episodes. Then we get into The Dig, which, which ironically was supposed to be one episode, turned into three episodes. Uh, then we got into Karis, which was going to be one episode, turned into three episodes, yeah. <laughs> thanks to Christian Lyon again we can't thank him enough uh, that was awesome for him to do that but yeah. also chris i think you know as we end this season i, I really want to hear what's the favorite part of the show yeah. what segment do you guys really like um and so we do this thing in software which you know i think i've mentioned a couple of times before that that's you know the that's how i get to do these things you know through my real career right it's a software design and we we, we practice agile software development and one of the things i really like in, in software development is a process that we call uh, being lean and lean coffee and scrum. And so those might be foreign to some of our listeners, but basically what it is, is a retrospective on what we did right, what we want to keep doing, what we want to stop doing, and what we want to start doing. So those are some of the questions that I would ask our viewers is like, hey, what do you want us to continue doing? Mm-hmm. What do you want us to start doing? What should we stop? Be- what should we stop doing? And a side note to that is, what is your favorite segment? Is it the closing? Is it the cliffhangers? Or is it the fabulous music from the 60s? The fabulous music. And we need to talk about that, too, before we the do. end. Uh, so we'll get on that. Uh, but, yeah, our recap, our, 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 I've been happy with the season. I've learned a lot. You know, I've, I've done a lot of reading, a lot of research. I've spent more hours in the past year in a library than I probably have my whole life. Uh, so if that tells you anything, because I really didn't do a lot in high school, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, it, it gave us an opportunity to really analyze and even for us to do this, uh, you know, it's it's telling people about the story of the boys, but it's also teaching us about the boys and we're able to process things and, and take a moment to to keep that stuff in our memory. And so we're able to process those questions that we have, which again, later on in, in this episode, we're going to talk about things that we still have questions about that we'll, we'll get to, but um, Frankie, just to kind of to, to move the next step, I kind of want to talk about the, our episode on our Ray Farrier that we did. Absolutely. And um, we have, have, have done a lot with that and, and we've had a lot of feedback on it, which is, which is great. But, one of the things that we do want to hit up is that we did talk to some 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 what forensic pathologist and Correct. also a criminal psychologist. Correct. Uh, the criminal psychologist uh, gave us some some information. We sent we sent this off because because this was more this to me this was above our pay grade. Do you agree with that? That to try yeah. to learn it? It, it, you can't really learn that in a day. So. With that in mind, I do want to give a shout out to one of those that we talked to, and that is uh, Dr. Ramsland. She is uh, she's authored uh, sixty six books, I think, on criminal psychology. And so we did send all the letters to her, and her report back to me uh, was along the lines of that. Uh, these letters strike me as something from a mentally ill person, especially one that about the snakes. She's not from the area. We've talked about this. She says 
Did anyone find these snakes large enough to consume a teenage boy? That seems kind of unlikely. The guy sounds paranoid and his writing style looks very controlled. If he really wanted to help, he would have. His ploy is to be a puppet master. He likes the game. I don't read traits from handwriting. That's not really a science, she says. And without more content or context about the letters themselves, there's not much behavior here to work with. So that was her official report on the letters. And it was awesome that she took the time to do that. She does have a bunch of books out there. I mean, she is a very acclaimed author in the in, the, in that field. And like I said, I mean, you always want to resort to the experts that have studied it. It's not something that, you know, having ideas is one thing and thinking through a crime is another. I think in that same episode, we we had a bunch of spiraling effects of like motorcycle gangs and mafia and Casey <laughs> right. Hitman and all these racketeering things. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you can spiral out of control and it helps sometimes when you just send something to a you know criminal investigator like like she is and she can look at it and just be like you know it just sounds like somebody that's crazy <laughs> you yeah. know somebody's uh, and we're we are looking into some other stuff as well about uh, a building that is real close to murphy's cave and we're trying to research that a little bit but we've we've gotten some little headway that there may have been some sort of mental uh mental illness facility like Correct. within a stone's throw of Murphy's Cave, but we haven't been able to knock that down yet. But hopefully in season two or on our Facebook page, we'll, we'll give more information on that. And we did post a picture of that building mm-hmm. on our Facebook a couple of weeks back. So you can check that out. And if it rings a bell, if it rings a bell in your family, uh, please let us know. Yes. Because there might be another link there between yes. we know that those boys cut through that area. You know, what was housed in that house at that point? Yeah. Even taking Ray out of the out of this equation, it, it could have been somebody else. Exactly. So, and that's again, we hadn't, and that brings up an actually an interesting point. Somebody brought up that they remembered that time frame, or their their parents remember that time frame, and they said, "I, you know, that was never a thought in their mind that somebody would get abducted. It just wasn't a, it wasn't in their thought process in 1967." No, everybody, I think at that point was thinking cave in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were thinking that they went down once again. You know, some of the stuff that we really want to highlight. But before we get into, I guess, our final thoughts mm-hmm. or leading into the next season, I think we should get into tying a nice bow yes. around events that happened after May yeah. 10th, 1967, that are a part of the story. And there's some things that we need to do to tie up those bows uh, nice and neat. And the first one comes in uh, 25 years after the events of May 10th, 1967. That's in 1992. In 1992, there was a, a memorial service held on top of Lover's Leap. This was also when the dedication of the uh, gray granite memorial marker was made to the three boys. It was really nice because Helen was there. Uh, that's uh, Joe and Billy's mom. And some of the family members were there. Also, I found it very interesting that uh, our buddy Conway Christensen from the Hondo team was also in attendance in that 1992 event. And that's just incredible to think that, you know, I don't think any of those guys that worked that day and women, females as well, that, that helped that day. You know, whether you were pouring hot coffee, making sandwiches or in the trenches, you know, with the men, I don't think anybody forgot that day if you worked it. And, you know, some people don't want to remember it probably. And so that's why we're not pressing the issue if somebody doesn't want to talk about it. But I'm just going to stop right there, Chris, and just, you know, I don't think we've said this enough is that when we say we want to talk to you, you don't necessarily have to be on the show. It could be just a small conversation over the phone or something like that. 
And we will give out the number at the end of the show that you can actually call us and leave a voicemail. And then we can get back to you. It's a Google phone. It's a Google voicemail uh, because me and Chris both work. You know, we can't really be taking personal phone calls during business hours. So, but we will get back to you as soon as we can on that. Yeah. And so, uh, we but def- moving from that, yeah, YouTube, definitely appreciate that. No, 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 no problem at all. That's a great point. Uh, we move on a, a few years down the road to April of 1996. And this is when things get stirred up again. We're looking at 20, 20, let's see, six to four, 20, 29 years after the fact. Crazy. And this comes that all of a sudden we mentioned him in uh, the first few episodes, but Detective Charles Webster received a phone call from a man and he was identifying himself as Carl Michael Bailey. He lived in Kirksville, which is about an hour and a half drive from Hannibal. He reported that he was a Boy Scout at the time. And long story short, he says he knows what happened and that the Hogue father killed the three boys, buried them in the basement, and the reason was because the mo- mother and father were going to sh- go shopping, told the kids to stay out of the caves. They didn't stay out of the caves. And when the parents returned, Mike was super upset, beat the boys, and ended up beating them to death. Then he had to bury them in the basement at 621 Fulton. And, of course, this is not true, Chris, because... Because, uh, a few reasons, uh, because they pretty much knew that couldn't be true, first of all. But secondly, uh, as you move on 10 years down the road in 2006, uh, the house is demolished. Because, ironically, a new school was being built. So the Stoll Elementary School is now in that place. And so the Hogue family um, and a a bunch of houses in that area. Also, unfortunately, which I would have loved to get more research on, was the first Christian church building, which that, if you go back to episodes, uh, the dig episodes, that was the church that everybody went to to check in where they got the cavers from. So all the activity happened in that church. That was torn down too. So almost when that school was torn down, we lost a huge part of the history of the boys missing in 1967. None of the houses remain. No. Uh, from this, and none of the the school uh, is still there, mm-hmm. the school they attended, but they added the elementary school, which yep. is there now. And just so you know, if it, like people were, you know, oh, I'm in California, I'm going to go through there. I want to see the boys' homes. and where they, It's not there. No. It's a parking lot. Yep. But during this excavation and raising of the buildings, they found something, Chris. Yeah. Uh, what would you think you'd find in the ground? <laughs> well, let me think. There's 7,300 of them yes. in Missouri. Uh, a cave? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. A cave, a cave in Missouri. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll do an Oak Island <laughs> drop right there. We've been on that for a while. Uh, but, yeah, the, a cave in Missouri. So, yes, they did find a cave. Uh, it was, they ended up referring to it as the Stoll School Cave. And it was surveyed in April 26 of 2006 by a few different individuals, uh, Missouri Con- Department of Conservation, the Missouri uh, Speleological Society was You're there. so good. Chris. I know, I'm working on it. If I don't see it, I do it better. If I see it, I just, I just right. mess it up. Uh, but uh, there was quite a few members that did the survey. They found out it was only 211 feet, uh, 211.5 feet in depth. Like, that's how far it would go in. That was really it. There was no additional entry or exits out of that area. Area. They did find an interesting, uh, like, a marking. So at some point in time, there was an arrow 
in the in this cave that was not put on by spray paint so they believe at some point it was cavers that were there it's also possible that it was the cavers from 1967 trying to search for the boys and they were in that cave which makes a lot of sense actually but they didn't find anything there was a lot of hype i remember this back in 2006 there was a lot of hype like oh my gosh we found another cave maybe we're gonna find the boys and that's when this whole thing got riled up again was in 2006 i marissa elson we mentioned she's from modot she was super excited at that point she got to explore the cave herself being a modot employee and she said it was such a neat experience to to see that cave but again nobody was found there was no evidence found i mean vanishing point it is the antithesis of abduction the antithesis of out of sight out of mind almost when you think that well, here's here's some here's some light at the end of the tunnel. No pun intended, right? And and then it also clears the story about Hogue killing the kids. Mm-hmm. Which once again, does that always have to come into play? The husband did it, the father did it, the boyfriend did it. It's like, yes, that does happen a lot, but it's not every case that mm-hmm. we have to look at it. So yes, there were markings on the walls. They explored everything. They didn't find a button, a sock shovel nothing i do want to give myself a little bit of a correction on this there were three entrances in total found in this cave section two led to the same cave and a third was a geological pocket that did not extend very far um they eventually they filled in all these openings they closed off uh, the entryway because the school was being built and uh again no signs of of the boys so another disappointment it was also reported, too, that when people used to come to the Hoag's family, that one of the rooms always stayed very cool and had a draft. Some paranormal on me over there? Well, I think it was the draft coming from the, the, uh, the caves. Oh, good point. Good. Wow. See, you went a different direction. I didn't think you were going that direction. In most cases, <laughs> paranormal can be explained. Exactly. It's just normal. It's just whatever. Okay. Uh, so that kind of wraps everything up, except for one little part. And we've talked about this. Whew, quite a lot, and, and, and we will give uh, some credit where credit is due, is is a book by by a man named John Wingate. We've brought up John multiple times. Uh, this first book that he wrote was called The Lost Boys of Hannibal in 2017. Uh, it was the first edition, and he knew the boys, um, and we've pulled a lot of our information from that. Uh, so we want to thank John for his work and dedication for that book. Uh, he did a second book, and the book was called... Soul speak. And uh, Frankie, I'll let you talk about you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I, John Wingate's book, Lost Boys of Hannibal, is how they're known, which is why the show is called that. There has been some interesting questions that we've received from a media standpoint. Uh, our website being Lost Boys of Hannibal, our Facebook page. Here's the thing that's what the story is they're the lost boys of hannibal um that's the title they're given we want to ensure and over the next couple seasons we hope to change that name to the found boys of hannibal so in the book souls speak for me it's out of bounds it's off the rails we have talked about mediums. We've talked about psychics before. And it's not that I'm trying to debunk anyone or any specific body. I believe that that gift does exist. 
does it exist in soul speak to point to John Wayne Gacy, which entirely the book is focused around John Wayne Gacy. Here's, here's the truth, guys. We were tasked to put an episode together on John Wayne Gacy, and we could not. There is not enough evidence supported by the book, hearsay, or John's own life, whether he was going by Jack or Pogo the Clown. John Wayne Gacy did not spend a lot of time in Missouri. The one fact that can be pulled that is true is there is a gas ticket, a gas receipt from Louisiana, Missouri, which is about 20 miles away from Hannibal. But this is not a gas receipt ticket from 1967. 72. It's from 1972. So John kept incredible books. He kept incredible receipts. Everything he did, he was very detail-oriented, very psychopathic in 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 that. To talk more about John Wayne Gacy in the light that he had something to do with the Lost Boys of Hannibal, as I've told the news stations, as I've told the radio stations, it's probable, but most likely it's impossible. Now, as it relates to mediums and psychics, I... If it was my ch- kid, there is a point where you get to a last resort mm-hmm. where you're going to try everything. So you have to have an understanding of what they're trying to do and what they're trying. And if they really do feel something great. But I've never seen a medium or a psychic actually point to a body and say, this is where it is. Right. What this book does is ruin relationships with the cement company which is now hard for me and Chris to ever talk to them because this almost vilifies them in and of itself. And that's that's a key speaking point because one of the things for me and Chris is that keeping relationships open, not burning bridges, um, Mark Twain Cave, always recommend, will always recommend it to people coming through the, to understand what a cave is like. It's a great attraction. It's yielded a lot of money for the town of Hannibal. They can do shows all they want. You know, when you look at Hannibal as a whole, you have to keep those bridges open mm-hmm. because what if the cement company does have information about that day? And now they're going to be like, okay, if we give this information now, it's going to look like we're guilty. So that's my biggest problem with that book. That book got so heated that when we started this podcast, there was no trespassing signs posted the next day that we were here. We had driven by it. I said, all right, that's where he thinks John Wayne Casey took the boys. The next day we came back, there was security around the fences. There were signs posted every 15 feet, no trespassing. Because allegedly this is where the psychic said all the kids are buried. And it's convenient, in my opinion, that they would be buried on private property owned by one of the largest conglomerates in the area. Yeah. I mean, I I was a little long-winded on that, but that's what I'll say about John Wayne Casey because I think – some of our audience is really wanting that serial killer edge. I can't give that to you right now. So let me throw. I want to the the one things that really throw it out. And I've read John's latest book, Soul Speak. The one thing that and I told told Frankie about right up front and said, you know, the one thing that really catches me is that he was in Cedar Rapids in 1967, and, and John Wingate. He was in Waterloo. Oh, excuse me, Waterloo. Okay. Yeah. He was in Waterloo. This is John Wayne Gacy was in Waterloo. He was in Waterloo. In 1967. That changes things, too, a little bit. But there was talk that 
John's mother lived in Little Rock, Arkansas. And it was Mother's Day was Sunday, so it would have been May 14th. was Mother's Day. May 10th is obviously the day the boys went missing. So there was some correlation that he would have had to come through this area to to get to Little Rock, Arkansas. So that was one thing. And here's the catch, though. And Frankie was right on it. I'll give him credit for this. He was right on it. He was researching the heck out of it. And he's he finally calls me one day. And he's like, Chris, I, I can't find any any evidence that she lived in Little Rock, Arkansas. And that's a problem. I mean, it really gives validity to it if you could say, yeah, 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 her address was 1234 Adams Street, you know, but we can't find that information. That that really does, does affect. And then the second thing that I really want to say about this is that he confessed that his first murder was 1972. Mm-hmm. He has nothing to lose to say, no, it was 1967. Nothing. Nothing to lose, and, and a little background on that. And since this is our finale, we're probably going to go a little longer at this point because we've built that trust with the audience that we're not going to bore you. And it's John Wayne Gacy, who kid doesn't want to take a backseat to you know true crime. <laughs> Some things about Gacy you should know. In 1969 is his first sodomy case, and this would be the kid that puts him in jail, and he's sentenced to for 10 years, and he's released in 16 months on good behavior. And it was then that John Wayne Gacy decided that he would never let anybody live, that he would kill them. And most of the time he killed them with a tourniquet-style strangulation. And that essentially is when you put a rope around somebody or a string or a chain around somebody's neck and you take a twig or a pen and you keep twisting and twisting and twisting until the neck snaps. And that's how most of his victims died. He said that he had used a gun at one point. Now, most of the bodies he kept in his Cook County home in Illinois where his mother was staying with him. He'd bring these victims back and he would bury them in the crawl space. This is one of the most horrific things. They recovered over 31 bodies out of that house in Cook County. The house still stands today. The house that he lived in was raised, but then they built a new house over it just to make sure they got all the bodies out. There have been six victims that were never identified. Uh, The police officer, the cold case detective on the case in Cook County, Illinois, is John Jason Moran, sorry, Jason Moran, and so far he has solved three of the missing persons. He's actually been able to identify them. He does have Hogue and Dow DNA. If And he has said, he has stated, if anything ever comes up, but we do know that the victims at the house are not the Hogues and not Dow. So this kind of puts a kibosh on John Wayne Gacy for now. Mm-hmm. I do want to bring up Chris uh, Monroe City. Yeah, I will say. Let me. I I I'll, I said it twenty times this season. I'll say it one more time. I do have my percentages. I do have John Wayne still at like five yes. percent. I'm not. We can't throw him out. I mean, probable odds. It's just as probable as the mayor went and hit him somewhere. I mean, there, there's so <laughs> many. There's so many possibilities. Which we'll get into. Yes. This. <laughs> there were two other murders around the same time involving right around the same ages as Dow and the hoax um, in, and it was the year following it's 30 miles from Hannibal. It's Monroe city. It's Rawls County Sheriff, same sheriff department. Uh, kid is roughly around the same age as Craig Dow, 14, 15 years old. He's killed. He goes missing body never found. A year later, in 1969, this is a little bit further, correct, Chris, in Sterling? Sterling. Sterling, Illinois. 
little bit further, but not out of reach for a serial killer that's around the area. So within a span of three years, you had five kids missing all around the same ages. And this is something that we're going to look more into in season two, something you guys can look into, because that really begins the season of exploratory work. We've done our initial research. Now it's time for us to further the conversation, not just add to it. So those two cases, those boys will mention in season two. We're not going to get into that right now. And then we'll kind of move away from the percentage of John Wayne Gacy. And nothing to discredit John Wingate. It takes a lot to write a book. It takes a lot to put those together. It takes a lot to self-publish and, and get the support that he needed. I think the book is completely misguided. And I think he let his, his own affiliations and religious beliefs kind of get the best of him. It ruined the intellectual property, in my opinion, that you have to allow logic to play a role and you have to allow science to play a role. But then again, logistics. Logistics for John Wayne Gacy just don't work. He was running three KFCs in Waterloo at the same time this is going on for his father-in-law. He has two kids and a wife. He's going to get away for a week, kill three kids on a trip to see his mother who doesn't live in Arkansas, and then go back. It's just, it's not a John Wayne Gacy crime at all. John Wayne Gacy also suffered from a heart condition. To wrangle up three boys being overweight with a heart condition, throw them in the trunk of a car, I, I just don't buy it, Chris. Yeah. I don't. When the more and more you look at Gacy's profile, he never abducted more than one kid. Uh, it was always a kid that he had stalked, that he had knew about, that he invited, that he got comfortable with. And then towards the end of it, he got a little sloppy. But his kills were very, very much detail-oriented. He knew exactly what he wanted out of them. And some people did get away from John Wayne Gacy. They did escape, and they could actually tell the tale. Um, if you want to watch the documentary that they did on Hulu, I proudly recommend that. It's called Legacy, and it's all about Jason Moran's findings in uh, Cook County, Illinois, and what he's trying to do with the Gacy cold case files. Very good. So that'll, yeah, so that, that kind of puts, us, uh, puts that, the bow on Gacy, I believe, for now. For now, for now, Chris, because like I said, there's probably, and like you've said, we're not ruling it out. No. It's just, it's a probable odds of 5%. Yeah, and I will, and and there's, uh, and I will give Brittany Buckwalter. She's in the book. She's one of the psychics that's in the book, and and we've talked with her. And I, I want to say all all three of the psychics that he talks about in the book and and has, I, I respect what they do. I mean, absolutely, I'm, I'm happy that they 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 are down the path that they want and that they're doing what they're doing. So, um, and not to disrespect what they do at all. So I just want to make that very clear. Yeah, and that. Yeah, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that could have been taken the wrong way. It has nothing to do with their ability. Right. It has everything to do with logistics. Yes. Um, it, might, it might be there, and they might have been abducted. It just might not be John Wayne Gacy. Right. Um, and, and that's essentially, because here's the thing. Like I told the news, they said, do you think, he asked me, I remember one of the questions, I don't know if he used it or not, I have to watch the interview again, but he asked me, do you think that the boys will be found? And I said, 100%, they will be. But I never said that me and Chris would find them. I do believe these boys will be found, and I do believe they'll be found. I took it as you were thinking we were the 100%, but that's okay. Hey, bud. <laughs> I'm glad that you clarified it. I'm on the hunt. <laughs> I know. I, I want to bring these boys home. So let's 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 skip to the next section here, and, and that is uh, what is on the to-do list still. We've talked about so much this season, and we've covered so many areas. There's a few areas that we know that need more exploring, and we've talked to all of you that listen to our podcast, and you're like, well, what about this? What about that? So I'm just going to 
going to go through this list pretty quick, and you can kind of go back and highlight uh, exploring the mayor. We've talked about it through the bonus episode that uh, Greg uh, Greg Henderson was like. I think the mayor had something to do with it. We have not researched the mayor. We do not know if he uh, is an uptight citizen of the community or if there was some unmisdoings during his his uh, tenure as the mayor of the city. We need to explore that. Did you say uptight or upright? Uh, I think I said uptight. Definitely uptight. He's a mayor. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was on city council at one point in time, so I understand what uptight <laughs> means when I say mayor. Uh, it, also, the next thing is investigating the construction company. We've hit that a little bit uh, in previous episodes. There needs to be more investigation there. I highly, highly doubt that they're going to be willing to talk to us, but we are going to venture down that road next season. We have to. I mean, you have to dot all the I's, cross all the T's. The next thing on the list is our mystery man, Atwood, out of St. Louis. We threw him under the bus, kind of, I think, with the Karis report. And the Karis report threw him under the bus. Now we're questioning, did he really need to be thrown under the bus? Because you had, after after William Karis leaves Hannibal, you have uh, the city council and the mayor approving something based on what Atwood's evidence was. And that is a public elected official that's making a decision based off of some individual that is not from the area, but yet the head searcher, William Karras, says he's a joke. we got to figure that out. Well, we know who the joke is. Do we? <laughs> uh, Karras. Possibly, but I then... I mean, from Christian Lyon's perspective, I mean, he once again, he got into a case where he was... Sub- I mean, he must have known at this point that after being in Choder's pants and now coming to the cave systems in Missouri, the cave systems in Missouri are no joke. Yeah. You have to know what you're doing. When you look at Atwood, and you're getting back to the smell, mm-hmm. right? The, the the odor, which right now, does Karis have a problem leaving bodies in a cave? No, he doesn't. Exactly. But, and, and that actually goes back to even our first to-do is the mayor, because there's a connection there. There's also a connection to the construction company. Our second point is sure. that, was there players involved that possibly... The odor was, unfortunately, the boys, and there's players that said, this is going to be bad for us. What are we going to do? And so somebody came up with the solution of, eh, it was sewage. So they don't have to go down the wrong road. Logistically, they were a million dollars in the hole for searching for the boys. Yeah. How much more money would that have cost? And I think they look at it from a perspective of, you know, maybe in 1967 – you know, the better thing to do is to say that the boys, there's hope that mm-hmm. we'd find them. Yeah. But we didn't. So you got to look at that with a grain of salt. But yes, Chris, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it, money, money talks. Yeah. I will play devil's advocate in that for real quick, though, is that I think you we've talked about this. We have kind of pillars of the caving community. And I want to say Conway Christensen and Tex Yoakum that wouldn't have allowed that to happen, I don't believe. So that is your your hiccup in that whole scenario. I think it's too hard to keep a secret from two of your other biggest people in the case. It's too hard to keep a secret between three people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so cover-ups, I mean, it's the same thing with presidential elections. And let me tell you something. I work in election business. I work in that type of – you've been in that environment. You've run for office. It's very hard mm-hmm. to – create a cover-up conspiracy theories are exactly that they're conspiracy and 
if there is a cover-up, man, that went into some deep pockets. Please don't look up my election results, by the way. <laughs> hey, you, hey, you were there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, you brought up the election, and I'm like, no, no, they're going to do a search for me now. Darn it. Um, hey, and, you, uh, did, you did your job. I did, but they don't know about the other ones. <laughs> uh, anyway. Good job, Chris. Yeah, thank you. So that's another thing. We kind of already hit this, but the abductors. They're, we've talked about Gacy. There's other players involved not yes. only from a regional level but a local level as well and that was one of the first things when i first talked to frankie about this that was the first place he went to was was possible local abductors sure so that is something we have we have some names we won't release those names because of what we've talked about in previous episodes but there's some there's some possible alleyways to go and going back to what we've heard is that people are saying that wasn't something we thought about in 1967. So that's something we're thinking about today. Yes. As we move forward, we're treating this case as a missing persons case. Yes. Uh, and finally, the last piece of the puzzle is a gentleman. We've talked about him, Detective Charles Webster. He does have a report out from the 1996. Um, I'm going, we're, I should say we are going to kind of prod the Hannibal Police Department a little bit more just to see if we're missing anything. Uh, because I still, and again, this goes to our next part of things that intrigue us. I still don't get why there's not a police report. There should be a replace, police report. I mean, when you look at it from the different perspectives, uh, you know, I, I, with the bottom of my heart, I think Charles Webster was a hell of a captain. Uh, he served his country in World War II, and he was a patriot. I think more than anybody, I think he was kind of overshadowed by all the events going on with the caves. You can easily convince people to not do their job by saying you have it figured out. At that time, when they don't find the boys, you got a month that's gone by. But Charles Webster does find an abandoned house with fingerprints belonging to children, fresh fingerprints, footprints from the dust, belonging to kids. No and report. No report. Weird. Super weird. So, And nothing against the Hannibal Police Department. You know, it was sixty-seven. It was sixty-seven. I, I, I'm friends with the, uh, I'm, I'm friends with the police chief in in my hometown, and I asked her that question, and um, she thought it was odd. You know, she even said that she felt that you know if there's missing persons cases, we we still have that information, and this is a smaller town than Hannibal that I live in, so it it, it, it bothers me a little bit on that. So that's one of the things that's intriguing to me and and you as well. The other one, and we've we've touched on it is the odor is there's something to that i i you brought it up you were concerned about that earlier in the season yeah. you're like i know what a decaying body smells yeah, like so and and john wingate he was there that day when he smelled it and he said it didn't smell right and there was people in the public standing out there in the in the open that smelled it i can tell you this sewage smells completely different. wouldn't sewage come back to smell multiple times multiple too? times so there, if you have a sewage weird. backup, you're not smelling it in one specific area either. Yeah. Right. It's like the river bottoms. Yeah. They're, okay. So that's something else we need to look at. And I do want to hit up one other thing before we kind of talk about next season a little bit. And that is if I was going to put your predictions or statistics into play, I still feel very confident. We've talked about it 
hundreds of times, Highway 79 cutout, I think there's literally a .001% chance that the boys are in a cave in that cutout area just because of what Tex Shokum did and the work that he did there. I, I'm really honestly still even at the point, even with that odor, that odor pops it up a little bit, but my percentages are rather low about Murphy's Cave too. I mean, it's not astonishingly high of if I think that they're in there or not. So, I mean, overall, I have a hard time believing they're in any of the caves still in Hannibal. The only reason why I... The road cut, 79. I would not spend money digging that up again. I believe Tex Yoakum was a man of his word, and he was an expert in his field. And he did his due diligence, especially because three kids were missing. I don't put any thoughts into 79. Murphy's Cave, I will always hold high probable odds that those boys are there. Because anybody that's done search and rescue from rivers that smelled dead bodies, you're on high alert. It's a very different smell it it doesn't smell anything like sewage in fact if you look at the decaying aspect of it right like i've said before sulfur mothballs sweet uh sickeningly sweet fruit these are the stages of rotting corpses not corpses from a, a deer at some point they do start to smell similar but man it is different and if somebody that had done that you can ask anybody you can ask any coroner they, they would have investigated that, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just – I'm not buying it, and I don't know that maybe they tried to – all I'm saying is my, my odds for Murphy's Cave is still on high alert. Yeah. I, I want to know what exactly – where that sewage was coming from and try to find some records on what exactly happened with that sewage. Yeah, so that's definitely something that we, we need to dig into next season. Yes. Which is what we need to wrap up with. Yes, and hoping to get going in March. We have a lot of events going on in March. Shift Films is releasing two films next year. We're releasing Cringe on January. Well, we release Cringe on January 11th, uh, 2020. That's available to download right now on Netflix. Not Netflix, I'm sorry, Vimeo account. It's in the festival circuit right now. And then our big documentary, which we just wrapped up, which is Lemp's Last Right. If you're a Lemp family member, if you don't know about the Lemp family members, go ahead and read about the Lemp's. That's L-E-M-P. The baby daughter in 1920 took her own life 12 days after her remarriage. The boys at Shift Films put together a film that says it might not have been suicide, Chris. And this is the Limp Brewery Limp dynasty. Brewery. Yeah. Yeah, and it is removed from Hannibal. I mean, a lot of people don't even know who the Lemps are mm -hmm. in St. Louis. Uh, but the family, the building, the brewery still stands. It doesn't brew beer, but you can still see the name Lemp on 55. So uh, look up the Lemp movie that's coming up on march 19th at the chase cinema theaters and then we have the startup of graveyard shift will start up again with their paranormal pursuits and then guess what the lost boys of hannibal season two season two and we will start to begin b-roll footage start shooting drone footage start getting ready for the film and building the next big project for shift films has been slated which is the lost boys of hannibal and that's all because of the interest in this show yeah. We've slated a good show, and we've slated a good podcast, and so we begin filming and trying to find the aspects of it. And that might take anywhere from two to three years to get done, 
but it's something that we're looking forward to and we're excited about. It's something that we're kind of combining efforts as well. So what we're really focusing on season two is getting to the nitty gritty, the trying to get the the investigation in, in the interviewing done. Because again, we mentioned this, time is of the essence. Time is not limitless. So we need to start to get that information in physical form. We're gonna do that via um, via video interviews, uh, but as well, we're going to transition that to keep you guys in the loop because you're our core and you guys are the ones that have been helping us out throughout the way to learn about these things. So those interviews are going to be coming up on our on these podcasts. We're really excited about what we have coming up. Uh, I think you're really going to be excited when you hear the trailer, especially when you find out who our first guest is going to be with All Hopes. Uh, so uh, we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a great season. That's right. We're cutting a trailer for season two of the podcast and hopefully we'll put together a trailer for uh, the film. We have some really cool ideas that the the film team is kind of scattered around about it. Uh, everybody's excited to to do something for the boys and that is the sound of the hour Chris it's currently <laughs> it's it's beeping us out. It's it's time. 40, 43 minutes past the hour. So um I think that puts that again our having our bow that puts a bow on there before before you wrap up Frankie I just want to say thank you uh, this has really been a surprising year for me uh, these past eight months seven months whatever it's been uh, not good at math again didn't pay much attention in school it <laughs> happens uh, but you know it's so amazing I get Facebook uh, friends that I've haven't talked to in twenty plus years and say hey I listen to the podcast I had my I give a shout out to my aunt uh, she's listening to the podcast awesome. and she's never heard listen to a podcast in her life but she's interested in this uh, in this uh, case so we're so happy about that and thank you so much for for supporting us and, and we have so much more to come and it's 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 humbling but it's very uh, it's very exciting as well. Absolutely. I mean, without the audience, we don't have a show. Uh, and I think that people forget that oftentimes they get they get so popular and they forget about, you know, why they're popular. Right. Uh, we are hoping to do uh, Crime Con, uh, True Crime Con in Orlando, Florida this year as well. We will give you more details as that rolls around. We'll probably have our own booth down in True Crime. So Crime Con's a huge organization and We've been invited to be one of the booths down there. Uh, we have to pay this year, but you never know. We might have enough audience and downloads by this time, you know, at the end of next year, right? Our end of 2020, that we might be on stage and doing the Lost Boys of Hannibal from a, for a wider audience. So we're looking forward to um, some of the true crime conventions that we're going to be going to. Uh, other than that, I don't have a cliffhanger for you. We don't need one this season. We don't need one. We've, we've covered all the bases. <laughs> That's it. I don't have one. Uh, I just like to say um, support, share. Um, if you want to be part of our Patreon, awesome. Don't feel that you're being left out of anything if you don't contribute. Yeah. That's what I'll say to that. It's great to have it. It's it's a great resource. At the end of the day, we're going to continue to to push this as far as we can on our own pockets. And so from all of us here at the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast, thank you so much for tuning in to season one. I'm Frankie Cambaletta. And I'm Chris Ketters. We'll be seeing you in March. In the darkest night. <laughs> you got to do some editing. A candle
the smallest prayer can still be heard. Can still be heard. And I believe that someone in the great somewhere hears every word. I know that at one time or another, I guess we've all lost someone, somebody near and dear to our hearts. But you know, I've got to tell you, there's no cause to fear because there's someone above, and He watches over them and over each and every one of us.